Welcome to the St. Barnabas Anglican Church Podcast. We share sermons, teachings, and messages from St. Barnabas Anglican Church in Fort Worth, Texas. I'm Father Andrew, the senior pastor at the church, and I'm glad you're listening today. You're always invited to worship in person on Sunday mornings at 8 and 10 a.m. and on Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. You can also visit us online at stbarnabas.us. That's S-T-B-A-R-N-A-B-A-S dot U-S. And now, enjoy the podcast. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. One of the joys of working for a global airline is having been able to visit and preach in some of the greatest houses of worship ever constructed. Sadly, many of these glorious structures today are scarcely used by the people for which they were built. In fact, many today have been abandoned and many are crumbling in ruins. Many are museums, and some are now Starbucks coffee shops. Even sadder, the current COVID-19 pandemic has all but emptied most churches in the world this morning. When I reflect on those facts, In light of Jesus' words from our gospel today, I have to ask myself, what exactly did Jesus mean when he said, I will build my church? Was he talking about glorious structures, marble, stained glass, tall steeples? No, that's not what he meant. In fact, there's no records of any church buildings till late in the third century. Prior to then, the church met in homes and occasionally gathered in public or religious places. So what exactly did Jesus have in mind when he told his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Did he have a detailed blueprint in mind? like was given to us in the Old Testament about the temple? I think not. But history does bear witness that the church has been a moving force in this world for centuries. Its influence has shaped governments, education, hospitals, orphanages, and many other institutions. But history has also revealed that when the church became too politically motivated, its spiritual influence faltered. With today's rapid globalization, many governments are now pushing for more pluralism and secularism. This rapid glowing global movement sees the church as a hindrance to its mission today. Many Christians, especially in the Western cultures, feel they have lost ground and are having to redefine their relationship to an expanding post-Christian and post-Christian modern world, 
The church in many cultures today is considered to be on the outer edges of society with only marginal influence at best. Well, if that's the case, and our church's decline is further accelerated by this current pandemic, then how are Jesus' words in this passage today relevant? And how is Jesus building his church today in these dark days? And more importantly, how does it involve you and I? Well, I believe this gospel reading today provides some insight and much-needed encouragement, I might add, as to how Jesus is still building his church this day. Listen to the words of Matthew 16, beginning at verse 13 once again. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, Others say Elijah. Others say a Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Bless you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Friends, Jesus' words that we hear in this passage reveal to us how he continues to build his church even in these dark and very challenging days. But as always, the most important thing is the context of the passage. And we need to look at it to provide some much-needed insight this morning. All three of the synoptic gospels record this story. And the other writers talk about how Jesus and his disciples were walking through the region of Caesarea Philippi. Let's just pause there for a second. This was about 25 miles north of Galilee. It was a pagan area under Roman influence. It had long history of pagan influence of pan worship. It was still littered with shrines and memorials to these false and pagan gods. And that's where Jesus and his disciples were walking. And they were likely admiring the many structures and shrines built in honor of Roman and pagan gods who were often seen as celebrities during the life and times of Jesus and his disciples. False gods were and still are often viewed as celebrities. And just like many so-called celebrities today, they still shape and guide people's thoughts and beliefs. I envision that Jesus was walking through that area, staring at those striking giant monuments and memorials to these people, and thinking to himself, why do people view these false gods with such esteem? And it's against that backdrop that Jesus asked his disciples the first of two loaded questions. The first question was a setup question, good lawyer technique. First question had to do with getting them prepared for the next answer. He asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And of course, Jesus knew exactly what the people thought of him. 
but he wanted to address the public opinion with his disciples while they were standing in that place at that time. And the disciples' response was very revealing. They said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Their answer confirmed popular opinion that Jesus was some resurrected hero. It revealed that most thought that Jesus was a good man or a prophet. Many today have no problem believing that Jesus was a good man or a prophet who helped others. But that opinion of Jesus, my friends, is no threat to them. That doesn't require them to be accountable to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But like I said, the first question was only a lead-in, a setup. The next question Jesus asked them was meant to be a little more personal and more direct. Any good question always does more than just test our knowledge of the facts. It always reveals our personal view in light of those facts. If you were to ask Stephanie this morning, who do people say that Greg McBrayer is? Her answer would likely be not very personal. She would probably reveal some commonly known facts like my profession or my ministry or my background or education. But if you were to pause and look directly at her and ask her, who do you? say that Greg is. The response would much more likely be more personal and reveal the relationship that we have with one another. Well, that's what Jesus was seeking this morning from his disciples. I can imagine Jesus once again gazing at these shrines all around them and see him slowly turning back to his disciples to look directly in their eyes and then to ask them point blank the most important question on this earth. Who do you say that I am? I'd be willing to bet you could have heard a pin drop. It's probably about as quiet as it is in here right now. You see, the moment of truth had arrived. School was out. After two and a half years of intense learning, the moment had finally arrived for their one and only final exam question. And Peter, Spokesman for the Apostolic Choir, as St. Christendom once said, boldly responded, as he often did, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Our brother Peter, with all his many foibles and shortcomings, passed the final exam. Jesus then made it known to all of them that there was blessing in knowing and believing that truth. Jesus confirmed Peter hadn't come up with that on his own, but God himself had revealed it to him. And he would soon reveal it to the rest of the disciples who would be tasked to take it into the world just like you are. Friends, that one final exam question is the very same question each of us must all answer at some point in our lives when Jesus looks into your eyes and says, who do you say that I am? Our answer has both a present and eternal implication. The answer to that question is also foundational in how Jesus Christ is building his church this day. Jesus says in verse 16, on this rock, on this rock, on this confession, 
of Christ's lordship, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall never prevail against it. Friends, Jesus doesn't use stone and mortar to build church buildings and build churches. He builds his church by establishing personal relationships with each of us. It's upon our confession of his lordship in our lives which binds us together, stone upon stone, as faithful followers of Jesus, joined together by him and through him. Paul says it much more beautifully than I do. And you can see it in your Bibles in Ephesians chapter 2, where he says these words. We are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, who also are members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself is our chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Folks, the church and Jesus Christ live within you. You are the church. It's got nothing to do with this building or any building. You're the church. And Christ continues to build his church today one soul at a time by deploying us, you and I, into that dark world out there. We are as ambassadors of Christ. God is making his appeal through us is what Paul says. We're building this church anytime, my friends, we present or model Jesus Christ before others. Our words and deeds demonstrate his lordship in each of our lives. Our lives are to point the way to him, not just make our point to others. Kindness, encouragement, and grace should always reflect the life built on Jesus Christ, the rock of our salvation. That's how I carry the church every day into American Airlines. I don't work for American Airlines. I work for God. He just employs me there. But there's another very important application to consider from today's passage on how Jesus is still deploying his church in wake of these current world events which are adversely affecting church attendance. In order to build his church today, Jesus has determined to make his lordship known by deploying you and I, his church, out there among the shadows of the gates of hell during these dark and challenging times. This is nothing new, friends. It's just new in our lives. The church has been under persecution for 2,000 years. There's been pandemics, wars, and every other assault from hell cast on the church for centuries. But for all of us who are here today, who have passed the one-question final exam, we are called to boldly profess Christ as Lord and Savior Son of the living God out there. We are today being mobilized in as an offensive group among the shadows of the gates of hell. A person on the offensive is characterized by his or her deployment into the opponent's territory. Or maybe it's better said today, into the enemy's stronghold. A person on the defensive hunkers down in a fixed location where they can construct a fortress to protect and control their influence and authority. 
The imagery of Jesus in this passage today, my friends, makes his point very clear and very powerful. The gates of hell depict Satan's secular fortification out there from which he binds and blinds people with his lies and deception. The enemy's authority and power increases every single time we give in to his ways. We see it all around us daily. We see it on our television, on our computers, in our workplaces. As lost people are saturated and overcome by Satan's subtle lies which grow and manifest anger and hatred and fear. Yet when you and I are bold enough to breach Satan's fortification with Christ's lordship and bring us and bring the church into that space, the power of the Holy Spirit becomes like a battering ram against hell's gates. When our lives intersect with those needy souls out there, it can be uncomfortable for both them and us. They may feel exposed by the light of Christ and react. And we may feel vulnerable in the darkness. But such encounters, folks, and such challenges, things that test our weakness, stretch our faith in God. My friends, this is how Jesus is building his church today. If we're not in here, he's got us deployed out there. We get deployed every single time we walk out of this building. Every single time. That's what we come here for. And though many cultures may consider the church marginal today, do not be discouraged. God has by no means given up on his people. Jesus is still reigning and ruling and building his church today by deploying you among the secular masses. As the world has gotten darker and become increasingly opposed to Jesus and his message, it seems that many churches churches and many Christians have retreated deeper within the walls of their churches only to protect and reassure their weak faith. Friends, sheltering in place within the church walls doesn't grow the kingdom. As James tells us, faith without works are dead. The love of Christ must be heard and seen every single time you walk from this building each and every day of your life. Our churches are critical. This is a critical place. This is where we come for discipleship development. And it provides us a much-needed encouragement that we need through worship and, and through word and sacrament among other believers. But it must then be boldly taken into the world, folks. If the church's influence only resides within the church walls, why should it surprise any of us today that the culture around us is rapidly decaying? The most influence any civilization, any culture, any corporation, or any company, or any Christian can have is to be a true disciple, boldly working and serving among God's people who are lost in the shadows of darkness today. Fear not. Fear not, my brothers and sisters. And let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. The influence that Jesus Christ exhibits through you in the world and in the marketplace today, my friends, fully embodies him building his church this day. 
God could have revealed himself through many other means, and it still humors me that he chose us. But he did. Because you and I are the church, and we're the ones that are sent out there to do the work he's called us to do. When the church shows up in the world or shows up in the Walmart or in the Whataburger or in your workplace, it'll be through Christians like you who are faithfully obedient and not afraid to press Christ into the world as a living God. So never forget, my brothers and sisters, that you are the church. If we want to talk about the church not doing well, look in the mirror. I challenge you. You are the church. And you are being deployed every single time you leave this building. It's the last thing we do from this altar every single Sunday. Commission you to go out there, man, and do the work of the church. Because that's what keeps the church going. That's why Jesus resides in you. Because you are the church. And the church is in the world today. And if it's not, it's our fault. You're being deployed every time you leave. And Jesus Christ goes with you, and he has promised you that the gates of hell, nor this pandemic, nor any other attempt by Satan or man never has and never will prevail against his church. St. Paul one time said, Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Jesus Christ and through us spreads and makes evident everywhere the knowledge of him. May we all hail the power of Jesus, the rock of our salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Barnabas Anglican Church Podcast. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week, and we'll see you next time. This episode of the St. Barnabas Anglican Church Podcast is copyright 2020 St. Barnabas Anglican Church in Fort Worth, Texas, all rights reserved.